so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Amen. He deserves all the glory. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the price that you paid. And Father, I know myself that I too often take it for granted. But Father, we thank you for your body that was broken and for your blood that was shed that that we may enter into righteousness, Father. You are worthy of all our praise, God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for beautiful worship. Um, We are about to jump into our Bible reading, but just before that, I've just got a couple of announcements. Don't forget that our e-bulletin, which arrives on Thursday or Friday, um, has all the information about what's happening with the church. Um, So even if you've missed reading it, go back to your inbox, open it, and you'll um, see all the important information and updates. Um, One of um, those important things that we need to know about is that next Sunday um, there is going to be a church meeting. Um, You need to register if you'd like to attend the meeting in the building um, or you can register to attend the meeting via Zoom. Um, So it's going to be a new experience for us Um, and we call them church meetings but I really like to call them like church conversations. Um, I always feel encouraged after our meetings um, and if you call um, Yas Community Baptist Church your home, can I really encourage you to make it a priority to, to be there next week. Um, and just the other announcement is that next Monday night, so not tomorrow, but the following Monday night, um, there is our monthly prayer night as well. So it comes up quickly um, and that's at our house um, and again all the details will be in the e-bulletin. So I'm going to invite Jill up now for the Bible reading. So the word of God this morning comes from John's Gospel, starting at verse 1 to verse uh, 13 of chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee now he had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, midday. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had not gone into town, had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to me, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his flocks? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Well, thank you, Jill. Uh, it's always a treat uh, when Jill reads. She's such a dramatic uh, reader and brings the scriptures alive. So thanks for that this morning, Jill. Um, I want to encourage you that, um, you know, we've just had the Bible reading, but we're going to spend some time uh, in, in that passage and, and the whole story of the woman at the well. I want to encourage you, if you don't have it, either digitally or, you know, an old school hard copy of the, the Bible, I want to encourage you to have uh, that passage in front of you this morning. So it's John chapter 4. Uh, if you're used to us having it on the screen through this series, where we've not been putting the words up on the screen of the passages we're looking at. We're trying to, um, yeah, just have a break from that and trying to engage with the scripture in front of us. Um, and so we're continuing our series, um, uh, The Good News of Jesus According to John. Uh, so this is a, a journey through John's Gospel, uh, which is a story about the good news of Jesus. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in this morning. So Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for John's Gospel. We thank you for the good news about Jesus. I pray that this word this morning would resonate in our hearts. I pray that this morning this this scripture would be a contagious word within us, that we would become, in a positive sense, infected with it, that it would invade our, our, our heart, our mind, our soul, and that we would become contagious with it this morning, that others may know the good news of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you're a bit sleepy because you're on the couch at home or because it's warm here in the building, uh, feel free to take a stretch, warm up your, your ears, warm up your heart, warm up your mind, ready to uh, receive from God's Word this morning. So we're continuing this series, The Good News of Jesus, according to John. Uh, and so I've been saying through the last weeks that, that John's Gospel is all about belief. It's all about uh, driving us, the, the readers, driving his uh, original readers, towards belief in Jesus. He actually says uh, later in his gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the point of John's gospel is to lead us towards belief. In him, and, and so the question I've been asking basically each week, the first three weeks of this series is, do you believe? Or, or, or in other words, who do you believe Jesus to be? Do you believe? But the question this morning I want to ask us goes a little bit further than just simply, do you believe? 
Uh, The question I want us to have in our mind as we journey through this passage this morning is, is your belief in Jesus contagious? So not just do you believe in Jesus, do you believe that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, but, but is your belief in Jesus contagious? What we're asking this morning is, what is the R value on your belief in Jesus? So if you've been reading the news about the coronavirus, the R value is one of the key things they look at. It, it, it is how many people does an infected person with coronavirus infect with the virus? And so the aim is with a virus to get that below one because that means that each person is infecting less than one other person and it eventually dies off. But so when we think about belief in Jesus, what's the R value on your belief in Jesus? How many other people get infected, which is a nasty word, but, but when we're thinking about belief in Jesus, it's a good thing. How many other people get infected as a result of your belief in Jesus? How many other people come to believe in Jesus as a result of belief in Jesus? Carl and I were talking about the virus and about, uh, about uh, the gospel and reaching others for the name of Jesus uh, over the last couple of weeks. And, and, and Carl asked a really good question. When you open your mouth, are people more likely to catch a virus or hear about Jesus? Are we more likely to infect others with a virus than we are to tell them the good news about Jesus? And so today's story, this this familiar story of Jesus encountering a woman at a well, is about so many things. Uh, This could be a 10-part sermon series in its own right. It's about so many things, but, but it's also about contagious belief. Here's what I want us to grasp by the end of today's time. I've got my timer on, so we we should land sometime this morning. But here's what I want us to grasp by the end of that time. That revival, and by revival I mean many people coming to belief in Jesus. So we might have revival in the Yas Valley, which is my heart. Revival is more a product of ordinary, everyday people with contagious belief in Jesus than it is a product of prominent people proclaiming his name from a platform. Let me say that again. Revival is more a product of everyday people with a contagious belief in Jesus than it is a product of prominent people proclaiming his name from a platform. That doesn't mean that proclaiming Jesus' name from a platform is a bad thing. As a pastor of the church, I, I get a platform to preach on a Sunday morning. Uh, we're now online, so there's that platform we should, if we have a platform to speak from, proclaim the name of Jesus from that platform. But revival, many people coming to know the name and believe in the name of Jesus as their Lord and Saviour is most often a product of everyday believers who have a contagious faith, a contagious belief in Jesus, than it is from one great lady or one great man who proclaims the name. That's what I want us to grasp from this story. And so the story begins, as Jill read for us, with a Jewish man meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. And if we're fully, really to grasp this story, uh, we need to have a quick geographical, political and religious history of the Jewish-Samaritan relationship. 
Okay, that sounds really boring for some. For some of us, we've just sat up and said, that sounds super exciting. Because we get the idea that, yeah, Jews don't like Samaritans, but I've sometimes heard it described as, well, it's kind of like Australia and New Zealand. We have this rivalry. Whereas, unless in the last few months I've completely missed something about... I know we're not allowed to go to New Zealand at the moment, but unless I've missed something completely about that, the shift in that relationship, there's so much deeper going on here between the Jews and the Samaritans than our friendly rivalry because Steve's country keeps beating us in the Bledisloe Cup year after year after year. It may get there if they keep doing that, to be honest. And so this story is a story of Jesus travelling from Judea back to Galilee, which is up in the north, between Judea where Jerusalem is and Galilee where, where most of Jesus' ministry was, is Samaria. It's in the middle here. It's some area between Jerusalem and Galilee. And so it's positioned between. So most Jewish people, when they were traveling back from their pilgrimage in Jerusalem back to Galilee, would walk around Samaria. And so Samaria came to be from the northern kingdom of Israel. And so way back ages after David's reign, after Solomon's reign, God's people split into two kingdoms, north and south, Israel, Judah. Uh, the north turned away from God, they turned to paganism. And then Assyria wiped them out in 70, 722 BC. So 722 years or so before Jesus met uh, this woman at a well, the northern kingdom of Israel was obliterated by Assyria. And so Assyria repopulated this region with other people from all around the empire. And there were a few Jewish people left. And so what happened in Samaria is you had this kind of mix of paganism and a mix of Judaism, but, but it's, it's a testament to the power of God and the value of trusting in Him that ultimately what won out in Samaria was a version of Judaism with modifications. So instead of Jerusalem being the temple where to worship, Mount Gerizim was the temple, uh, the place to worship. Instead of having the whole Old Testament as their scriptures, they only took the first five books because the, the rest of it talked a whole lot about Jerusalem. So they thought, well, we'll just stick to the first five books. In 128 BC, the Jewish people invaded Samaria destroyed the capital Shechem and burned down the Samaritan's temple. And so in Jesus' day, this was just over a century ago. And so tensions often spilled into violence. And so that's why the Jews would go from Jerusalem around by the coast to avoid Samaria, the long way around to get back to Galilee, if that's where they live. But we're told, as as Jill read for us, that that Jesus had to go through Samaria. We don't know why. Maybe he was avoiding the Pharisees because they were out for him and there'd be some Pharisees on that main road back. Uh, Maybe it was because he was tired. We're told he was tired and 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 as a man, he is fully God but fully man, as a man he, he didn't feel he had the energy for the longer trip so he went to cut through. Maybe he had to go through there because he had a mission from his father to meet a woman at a well. But we don't know why he did that, but we know that it was not a normal place for this woman to find a Jewish man. She went out at midday 
rather in the morning when everyone else would have collected their water to avoid seeing anybody. And so just to reread in chapter 4, verse 7 to 9, we're told, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water at the well, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so this woman had an encounter with Jesus, who, because we've already read the first three chapters of John, unlike this woman, we already know that he is the word from the very beginning, that he is, was with God and was God from the very beginning. We know that he is the one sent into the world to save the world and not condemn it because we've read John chapter 3. But to this woman at this point, Jesus is just a Jewish man. Perhaps the absolute last person or the last kind of person she would ever want to see on her journey to get water. It's someone who shouldn't be talking to her and someone that she shouldn't be talking to. And so Jesus is just a Jewish man. Jesus responds in verse 10. To begin this woman's journey of belief from Jesus, just been another Jewish man that shouldn't be there to being the saviour of the world. He begins this journey by saying this in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is a key verse in this whole passage because Jesus challenges her belief about who he really is. He says, if you knew who I am and what I have to give. He talks about the who and the what that's on offer. Who is Jesus and what does he offer? That's, that's what's in question here. And so he says, if you'd ask me, I'd give you living water. Literally, that, just, that means a stream. It means flowing water. And so the thing about that is, it was the most prized kind of water. Uh, it was the freshest, obviously. If we see a kind of stagnant pond, we don't want to drink from that. If we see fresh running water, although that seems to be flipped on its head in Yass at the moment, you're not allowed to drink the running water, but that aside, running water was the most prized water to, to the fact that, to the degree that for some religious, religious cleansing rituals, you could only use living water, water that had been collected from a running source. And here's the other thing about it. In this region of Samaria, there was no running water to be found for a long way. That's why it was so important that Jacob's well was there. This well had, was an ancient well by Jesus' time. And, and we still believe that that same well is there today. It was such a reliable source of water, but it was a well. You needed a bucket. You needed to reach down and grab it up. It wasn't easily accessible running water. That was so much better. But Jesus isn't just talking about a stream of water, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit more because Jesus comes to it uh, again in chapter 7. He says, he says, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from them. And so we're going to grab onto that idea of living water and the Holy Spirit a little bit more in, in John chapter 7 in a few weeks' time. Because for now, who is the most important thing? Not the what but the who. 
Jesus' identity is the key question here. The woman, of course, is naturally focused on the what. What, what, what are you offering? She came to get water, this man saying, I can offer you living water, and so she's focused on that. And so she wants Jesus to give her this water, if we read from 11 to 15. She says, the, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water, and the well is very deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? See, she's starting to ponder the who question. Are you greater than Jacob? Who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, see, Jesus is essentially saying, yes, I am greater than Jacob because the water that I offer is greater than the water that Jacob offered. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Like Nicodemus last week, Jesus speaks to this woman about spiritual realities and, and she's fixated on natural realities earthly realities she says you don't have a bucket where can you get the water from but but the thing she does is she stays in the conversation with jesus she doesn't flee from it she asks are you greater than jacob and and whether that was tongue-in-cheek whether that was sarcastic it invites jesus to demonstrate his identity She's exploring the who. She says, give me this water. She misunderstands what he's talking about. But she wants what he offers anyway. So we talked about this last week, that that one of the key things we need to get to is, is to not have to understand everything before we want to receive it from Jesus. Nicodemus didn't understand what it meant to be born again. And so Jesus says, well... The Spirit's like the wind. You can see its impact, but but you can't fully understand where it comes from or where it goes. And and that's kind of what it's like to be born again in the Spirit. And, And so this woman does not understand. She knows the region. She knows there's no living water there. She's not sure what Jesus is talking about, but she says, I'll have it. Give me this water. And so Jesus gives it to her. To do so, he has to reveal a bit more about who he really is. In, in verse 16, we read, He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. She asked for living water. And rather than Jesus dig into, you don't get what I mean, I'm not talking about real water, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Rather than explain it more, Jesus begins to lead her into the place where she can receive it. Because receiving the living water, receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving eternal life comes through believing in Jesus, not understanding what the living water is. And so Jesus gives her a sign that points to his identity. This is like the water to wine. 
Jesus reveals to her that though he has never met her before, he knows all about her life. It's called a word of knowledge. The reality is it seems she's lived an immoral life. So some of us might say, God, give me a sign that you're here. Not many of us would like that sign to be someone walking up to us and telling us all the wrong things that we've done and the sin that we can't seem to get over. But, but Jesus gives her a sign. And we have to remember in John 3.16, we have to remember the tone that Jesus would have said this with because in John 3.16 it says that Jesus came not to condemn the world but to save it. And so Jesus doesn't reveal this knowledge he has about her to condemn her but to save her, to lead her into a place where she understands who he is that she believe in him and receive living water that flows up to eternal life. Jesus is not condemning her, but seeking to save her. See, the content of the sign is not what gets dwelled on from this point on. Jesus doesn't unpack her life of sin and and question the choices she's made. He doesn't dig into where it all went wrong and uh, the childhood trauma that led to her making poor decisions, etc., etc., You can see a counsellor about that later and I'd recommend if you're in that place to do that for yourself, but that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus just reveals this as a sign of who he is and and so we see her belief shift from he's a Jewish man and are you greater than Jacob to in verse 19 she says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Her belief has shifted It's not yet to the fullness of Jesus, you're the word from the beginning, but it's shifted closer to who he is because Jesus is a prophet. And so he asks her a question about uh, religious differences between uh, Jewish people and Samaritan people and the right practice of worship. And every time I've preached this passage before, that's where I've anchored it, is in this question that Jesus answered about worship. This morning, we're going to just move on past that. We're going to explore this woman's journey towards belief in Jesus. Jesus graciously answers her question. Once she has that shift in her identity. But but I want to get to verse 25. So after Jesus answers her question, and and because it's loaded with wisdom and understanding that that I, I, I think would have just connected with her heart, as it says elsewhere in the scripture, where else are we going to go, Jesus? You have the words of life. There was something about the way he taught that was different and that people recognized it. And so this woman responds to his teaching about the right way to worship. She says, I know that the Messiah called the Christ, Christ and Messiah, two different languages, same meaning, the anointed one. I know that the anointed one is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So maybe she's just saying, cool, good answer. When the Messiah comes, he's going to clarify all of that for us. Maybe she's saying, she's just putting it out there, is is that you? Because you seem to clarify a whole bunch of things there for me about worship. Are you the one to come to clarify everything for us? What she does have is a confident belief that the Messiah will come. 
And so Jesus confirms to her that that's him. In verse 26, it says, Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. This literally is, in the Greek, simply, I am the one speaking to you. Those words, I am, in Greek, ego, I me, are the way the name of Yahweh was translated from Hebrew into Greek in the Greek scriptures that most Galilean Jews would have used at this time. So Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm the Messiah, but I'm more than that. I am. The I am is here speaking to you. The question of who Jesus is is answered. He is the Messiah and as we flow on from the story in a moment, she responds with belief. She doesn't say much here because she's interrupted by perfect timing, not from the disciples. But, but she says, uh, she flows on with belief. But, so she's shifted from, oh, there's a flaming Jewish man at the well. I just wanted to come and get water and now he's talking to me. She's shifted from Jewish man to, to are you greater than Jacob, to I can see that you're a prophet, to this is the Messiah, the anointed one, who's come to save the world. This has been her journey of belief and it stops right there because the, the 12 disciples show back up with lunch. And so the story stops there she leaves the well that's her signal to leave if you've read john chapter 4 you you know the story doesn't stop there but it could have it's kind of like where the story with nicodemus stopped isn't it we 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 don't know we hear about him again a few more times but but we don't know where he ended up in his journey of belief and the reason I highlight that is because so many of us that, that go on that journey of belief about Jesus, and that just maps on so many people believe that Jesus was just a Jewish man, but he wasn't anything special. He got a, got a following uh, you know, a couple thousand years ago, made a name for himself, and, and, and people have followed that on. Some people shift to, well, Jesus wasn't God, but he was a prophet. And, and some people shift to, uh, he was the Messiah, the anointed one, but he wasn't divine. Uh, and some people shift to the truth he's the messiah and god himself but all too often that's where the story ends at personal belief i asked the question at the beginning what's the r value on our belief in jesus the sad story is for the church at least the western church right now the r value is very low If we look at it optimistically, we're just keeping slightly ahead of death rate. For too many of us, that's where the story of our belief ends, at getting to the identity of Jesus. Thankfully, that's not where this woman's story ends. The disciples' arrival is her signal to leave, but... That's not the end of her story and and thankful to John that he recorded the rest of the story. Because this woman doesn't just have belief, she has contagious belief. This woman wasn't just 
an ordinary woman. She was, by the social status of the day, subordinary. The last story was about Nicodemus and he was a prominent person who had a, a, a great platform. Nicodemus was the one that you would have thought that if, if, if someone believed in Jesus and proclaimed his name from the platform Nicodemus has, story's over. The whole world's going to believe, or the whole Jewish world at least, is going to believe in Jesus because Nicodemus is proclaiming him from his platform. But that's not what happened. We see a couple of times where Nicodemus whimpers onto that platform and gets shouted down. But this woman who, who is the complete other end of the social spectrum, especially through Jewish eyes, she's a Samaritan, she's a sinful Samaritan, she's trying to avoid even her own village in coming out to, water, to get water. She's the one that when she believes in Jesus, it becomes contagious. I've walked around too much and I've forgotten what verse I was going to read now. In verse 28, to 30, we're told that then leaving her water jar, this is after the disciples came back, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, the people she was trying to avoid before, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? See, she's, she's just simply sharing her testimony about Jesus. He gave her a sign and so she just shared that sign with others. She didn't have a theological degree. At this point, I imagine she was well short of understanding you know, the sacrificial atonement of Jesus on the cross. That hadn't even happened yet. She just says, come and see, here's what he did in my life. They came out of town and made their way towards him. And then in verse 39... We're told that many Samaritans from that town, Jesus has a little discourse with his disciples while we're waiting for that, read it later, it's great stuff. But In verse 39 it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said, now we believe, sorry, now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Hold that thought, saviour of the world. We're told that because of her testimony, many believed. They believed first because of her testimony, but, but she invited them to come and see Jesus. She said, this is what he's done in my life. This is how he's revealed himself to me. Come and see. And so they went and they saw and they encountered Jesus for themselves. And so they believed firstly because of her testimony and secondly because of their own encounter with Jesus. I would suggest that we can take a little bit of a, a lead from this Samaritan woman in how we seek to share Jesus with others. We don't need a theological degree. We don't need to understand how it all works. We simply need to say, this is what he did in my life. This is who he is to me. Come, come and see. Her faith became contagious. She had a very high R value. We're not told numbers. We're, we're told many. It was too many for them to count.
I said to hold that thought, and we're going to finish with this. Verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is. But they don't say the Messiah. They say the saviour of the world. See, the, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one was, was a very Jewish hope and expectation. Or if you're a Samaritan, it was a very Samaritan hope and expectation. So to follow the journey of belief in this story, it begins with Jewish man. Maybe he's greater than Jacob. He's a prophet. He's the Messiah. But, but it takes this one step further. He is the saviour of the world. See, we, we might think of Messiah and saviour as the world as kind of, kind of overlapping terms but there's a big step here because this is not just about one woman at a well this is not just about the samaritans it's not just about the jews this is about jesus and who he is and who we believe him to be all of those things were true he was a jewish man he was a prophet he was certainly greater than jacob the great jacob was a great man in his own way he was the messiah but Jesus is the saviour of the world. And if Jesus is the saviour of the world and not just a Jewish man, not just a prophet, not just a Christian figure, not just a swear word, if Jesus is the saviour of the world and the only saviour of the world, then the implication of that impacts everybody. If Jesus is the saviour of the world, then everybody needs to know. Our belief in Jesus must be contagious. The R rate must be improved. As Eliza and Helena come up, I'm going to finish with where I started, with the thing I want us to grasp from this morning. If we have a heart for the Yass Valley and, and beyond, obviously our heart for the world doesn't stop at the borders of the Yass Valley. Even my modified map of it, that includes Gunning. If we have a heart for revival, the danger is we go, well, well where are the evangelists? We need them. Where are the prominent people that are going to proclaim Jesus from a platform across the Yass Valley? But this story demonstrates to us that revival is more a product of ordinary, everyday people with contagious belief in Jesus than it is a product of prominent people proclaiming his name from a platform. That means that we must become contagious in our belief. We must become excited about Jesus in a way that infects others. We don't need a theological degree. We just need to come to the place where when we open our mouth, people are more likely to hear about Jesus than they are to catch a virus. Let's pray and let's worship Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray a simple prayer today. May we, like this woman, come to a place in our belief 
that is heavily contagious. May the Holy Spirit move in us to fill us with infectious belief in Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.